Welcome to the Powercast with Charlie Johnson. I'm one of the world's leading fitness and transformation coaches. I'm going to be providing you with the tools to build your ultimate body and mind. So welcome to a highly anticipated episode of the Powercast with the legendary uh, Australian Alicia Gowans, uh, all the way from Brisbane. So thank you very much for jumping in for the show today. Uh, today we're going to run through some fascinating and incredible topics which will be very inspiring. So firstly, how Alicia uh, broke her back and then overcame that from squatting, uh, the importance of mindset for success because I know she's incredibly inspirational with that and also uh, Alicia's legendary ISO chats with some of the situations with COVID-19 keeping her clients inspired at the moment. So thank you very much for jumping onto the podcast and pleasure to have you on board, Alicia. Thanks for having me. I was just saying off line i'm uh, probably sitting in better weather at a better time of the day than you right now <laughs> but um but no thanks for having me i always love chatting with anyone anyone on your side of the uh the ocean yeah pleasure pleasure so um to give us a bit of a run through about yourself how did you first get started within the fitness industry because obviously you've got a, a very like experienced varied background uh, to give yeah. us a bit of background how how you started and how you transitioned obviously to being so successful with the wbff and like a three times world champion yeah Thank you. Uh, it's been quite a journey, actually. And look, I've always been a high-level representative athlete. I think it started from the time that I was very small. I was a professional dancer before I moved into this. So I was a ballerina. I had a systemic set of injuries, basically, hyperflexibility. So I got stress fractures in my back. And from that, then it took me out of a couple of sports that I played at the very highest levels and forced me into a rehabilitation process. Now, at the time, I had already gone on to do some degrees and I was working in corporate and I had set up these business these performance facilities that were in fitness that were my hobby businesses and um, in time I guess as I was rehabilitating this initial injury which kind of leads into how the eventual injury happened because I did have these hairline stress fractures and I had had some predisposition there for weaknesses um, I was rehabilitating it and then just kind of found my feet in bodybuilding you know it was the polar opposite to what I'd been doing I was in a situation where you know you're kind of really focusing on staying light and nimble and tiny. I think I was a chihuahua ringing wet at like 42 kilos when I started bodybuilding. And now I'm like 20 kilos heavier 10 years later, right? So for me, I fell in love with this journey of getting strong. You know, I just started to see my physique changing in ways where it was blowing my mind, right? And I was being told that I wouldn't be able to do all of these things again. And in, in the course of time, in the process of developing this strength in my physique, I started doing everything I got told I couldn't do plus more. And, um, and then I just kind of fell into this. You know, I did my first, uh, first competition. Did very well, you know, won. And I didn't lose another show until I went pro. <laughs> So, so, you know, I just found something I was really good at and I just fell in love with it. And so for me, in the course of time, when it got to the point where I felt like this could be something that I could do as a full-time career, I moved into it the first chance I got and stepped away from corporate. It's just a soulless job, the corporate rat race. And I feel so much more akin to what I'm doing now. And, um, and obviously over the course of the last eight years, I've just continued to professionally develop. You know, I'm... I'm mad about science. I'm mad about um, everything to do with performance nutrition. I'm just mad about the physical form. So pretty much followed that pursuit and I've just been studying it since and came into the WBFF as a amateur, uh, went pro in my very first show and it was the very first show that Australia ever put on actually. I was very lucky. I didn't have to travel overseas. I was preparing for an overseas show, but they brought it to Australia before, before that was necessary and um, was part of the inaugural event here. And as soon as I went pro, it was just, oh my God, I can't even describe it. It's, it is a family. It's really, it's not just about jumping on stage and wearing next to nothing to be judged in. It is definitely a family. And we really do have so much more scope to the WBFF. I mean, it's, it's beauty, fitness and fashion for starters, right? So it's not just about throwing a bodybuilding physique on stage. It is about your marketability. It's about your presentation. It's about your glamour. I mean, it's, it's sort of everything. And if you've ever watched a show, you'll understand it's like watching Victoria's Secrets meets the gym. Really is like we wear the big theatrical suits. We runway model. We don't stand and do mu most muscular poses and anything like that. Um, no front double biceps. And then literally at the end, you know, you uh, you step away from the stage and and you have so much more opportunity to you as an athlete and as a model. I think. Um, and then for me as a coach, like I was already coaching for other divisions and other federations before I moved into the WBFF. But the minute that I stepped into this space, I just knew that's all I really wanted to coach for. And so over the course of the last six years, 
I've really built up a, a quite a large, I guess, global um, reputation now within this brand and um, within the industry itself. And uh, and as you saw last year, we we were awarded the Coach of the Year award, which was great because I've been nominated for that for the, for the last three years. So first female to ever be nominated, and also the first female to win it. So it was pretty exciting. No, it's, it's pretty cool. Do you think there's um, sometimes a bit of difference with there seems to be quite male dominated, probably a lot of coaches within competing. Like, have you found that previously? 100%, definitely, definitely. To be honest with you, there aren't too many really, there's not too many high level females, to be honest with you. There's only a few of them. There's, I've got a few peers that I really respect and admire. Um, I think there are probably a few more coming through. But before sort of I stepped into the ranks, I, I didn't know of any. They were like really my choices even as an athlete to choose a coach. You, you, there was literally like five people and that was it globally. It was really slim pickings. And I think there are a lot more credible names out there now, um, a lot more well-recognized names within the brand, but it's still a very male-dominated area, that's for sure. 100%, 100%. Now, obviously, your um, career has progressed like incredibly. You've got some awesome achievements. In terms of your training history, and obviously we'll delve into your injury uh, shortly, has that progressed and changed a lot over time? Do you focus a lot more on the, the compound sort of work, more functional training now, like compared to maybe where you started from the ballet days yeah. at the beginning? Oh my God, totally. I had so many, I had so many imbalances too from those days and the, that, that first set of injuries that I had that I had to correct first, right? So it was all about, um, you know, rehabilitation, biomechanic improvement. So it really did take a very foundation um, focus at first and then building block on top of that. And then I moved into this space where I was loving like functional movement. I started to do CrossFit. So I went through the CrossFit phase, which I think bloody everyone did. And, um, and then moved into, um, you know, powerlifting. So I've, I was doing powerlifting and training for powerlifting to do my first comp when I had my injury. And that took me out. Like I got told I'd never squat or deadlift again. I got told that I wouldn't do anything like I'm doing now. And in the last 12 months, I've started to incorporate all of those bigger compounds back into my programming because I rehabilitated to be able to do so. And did my very first powerlifting comp in the day before we went into lockdown. I did my powerlifting comp. How good was that? Like timing, right? And, um, and that was super exciting. So, yes, I have. I've had these phases and these waves of, you know, programming and um, I guess focus points for me in training. And it's, it's really gone through this sort of high and low of being rehabilitation foundational into compound and strength, into conditioning, into rehabilitation. So it's, it's really periodized for sure. But even in my areas of focus has changed. Did you find that slightly difficult almost in the stage? Cause I have to do that a little bit with myself at the moment, with a few things in terms of, I think a lot of people struggle with it. It's almost taking their foot off the gas and almost having to like yeah. regress focus yeah. on like stabilization, like, like engaging the correct muscles, fixing biomechanic yeah. issues, because we want to be doing the glamorous, cool stuff going in there doing like three rep maxes of deadlifts and like throwing yeah. stuff around and going like balls out. Whereas in reality, what happens when you tend to do that is it'll work for a little while, then you end up breaking yourself and then you realize there is an issue that needs to be fixed here. And I think to, um, for me personally, that's what happens. Exactly what you just said, where you go, I don't want to take the pedal off a metal, right? And when you're a competitive person, and I'm talking about being competitive with yourself, right? Just constantly, mm -hmm. for me, it's always about how can I be better than I was yesterday, last season, last show, last competition. I, I, like, I don't see anyone else. I'm not in competition with anyone else. For me, it's just always been about how do I keep bringing the best me, right? So I was the same. I would struggle. If I got to a point and I'd be like just smashing it on, you know, strength, or I would be just hitting these wads for time and just exponentially progressing i would really struggle with the concept that hey at some point i need to deload and my central nervous system needs a little time off i would be like what do you mean what's a rest day you know rest days every day starts with why there's no day off but um it took me having an injury to understand hey you got to stop sometimes and i think and I've said this before, um, the best thing that's ever happened to me in my life, and, and most people looking on the outside would, would think I'm freaking mental for saying this, but the best thing that ever happened to me was my broken back because it forced me to become an even better athlete, a better coach, a better, um, God, I even think a better human, to be honest with you. It evolved me on so many levels, but it forced me to freaking stop. And I'm a, 
I'm a 24 seven hyperactive, okay. all miles flying. Like my nickname cyclone, if that gives you any indication to what I'm like. So for me to stop, I didn't know how, and I very rarely ever did it. So I believe the universe put me on my ass because I wasn't going to sit on it my, by myself. Right. So it literally took my legs out from under me quite seriously. And, um, and it, and it grew me. Like I had to learn patience. I had to learn self-compassion. I had to learn tolerance. I had to learn that the foundations of what's the most important part of everything we do and that we need to revisit them frequently because we might not even understand that there is a, you know, a tightness or an imbalance going on for us because we're not necessarily always tuned into it. If we're busy and life's happening at us, which is 95% of our lives, you know, Corona is such a freak time for us, but there are some big lessons in this for us to be still and quiet and learn some of these things, right? The stillness was what was given to me with my back injury. It's almost like going through an isolation situation. You've really got to just look internal and you've really got to work internally at improving all of the things that put you in the place for the injury to happen in the first place. And a lot of the times it's because you've overlooked something your body's trying to tell you and probably repeatedly tried to tell you with a niggle or an issue or sleep patterns or whatever it is that's going on because it always gives you signs. And you've kind of gone, oh, screw it. It's fine. I'll work around it. I'll work over it. I'll go under it. I'll, I'll train a different body part. Like... That's what I did progressively over the course of an 18-month period that then led to my injury, right? So I needed for that to happen for me to wake up and be like, okay, I've got to start taking stock of my life. I've got to start incorporating balance. I've got to understand how to actually structure my day and my development of my physique in a way that is more strategic, not just going balls to the wall, all guns blazing, Give me my freaking crown. Like, it's just, what was I doing? That um, analogy of training training smarter than training harder. Like, you can can actually get better results by sometimes doing less, but having more intelligent approach. So, it's funny you say that. Do you want to know how I won? So, for everyone listening, I've won five crowns. I hold the record in the WBF for the most crowns ever won, two of which are the the USA title. So, I miss USA. And then three three consecutive back-to-back world championships. Funny story. I won the first three of those doing nothing but blood flow restriction training reduction in strength i wasn't doing i was doing submaximal everything i could not do cardio i could not even walk properly i could not do my posing until the day before my show because i couldn't put my heels on because my back um in the third crown i was getting epidural cortisone injections into my facet disc and my nerve root the day before i flew out overseas to compete just so i could put my heels on like but my whole training was done in a way that was minimal weight. It looks like ISO. It really looks like ISO. Minimal weight, yep, low loading, blood flow restriction training was literally my jam for three years. I could almost write a textbook on it. Like that's how bad it was. But that's what I did. So you're right. Do we always need to push ourselves balls to wall to get an outcome or a result? No, not necessarily. Do I believe we need to have an, an element of really strong compound movement, functional movement, and also the ability to get strong. Absolutely, I do. But I think we need to recognize that, hey, and especially for men, it doesn't always need to look like that. You don't always need to be balls to the wall. Like you literally can have periodized structures of going hard out. I call it climbing Mount Everest, right? The analogies I use with my client is like this. You can't live at the summit of Everest. You'll die, right? You climb to it, you peak, you put your flag up, you get the fuck down. You don't stay on Mount Everest. So you want to stay base camp, which is close, still treacherous. That's about six weeks from stage level of lean and eighty percent all the time, and then you can jump back exactly. when you need to. Correct. But if you want to get your beach abs out and rock a bloody you know swimsuit, then stay at stay at the base camp and jet up within four weeks with a good diet and some you know cardio on some hit and a few other things you want to throw in to get it torch burning, right? But you don't live at the top all the time. And, and that's what I was trying to do. And so my central nervous system was gone. I was getting tightness in body parts that were pulling me structurally out of alignment. And what had happened was, you know, I came out of the back end of my 2015 world championship. I got under a bar two weeks later and tried to start to load in my normal strength block when I was still in a compromised state metabolically, you know, definitely structurally. Like I had, you know, done a massive amount of workload pyramiding myself through to that stage condition with low calories, definitely, you know, still 
recuperating my metabolism and recuperating my whole physique, right? It usually takes about six to eight weeks coming out of the back end of it before you can start loading like that. I know that now and I do it the right way now. But back then I was like, yeah, let's go, let's tell you, I feel great. And I did feel good. This is the scary part, okay? And this is why I know the universe shuts you down when you refuse to turn the light switch off yourself, right? And my fire was burning all hours and I candle at both ends and then probably three more candles attached either side. So my, my poor body was like, what are you doing to me? So I jumped in this day and I'm like, I feel great. And the running joke is still I should have played ball, right? So this is the running joke. I'm with a bunch of 20 guys. And I'm in this gymnasium going, no, I'm going to go deadlift and squat. And they're like, you want to play ball? I'm going, no, it's a sausage fest. Why do I want to jump in that? I'll be in here lifting. You boys go play ball. I'll see you at the end. Do you know the first thing they said to me when I got pulled out, I got carried out, I'm, I'm like, you could hear the crack across the gymnasium. Oof. And it got carried out. And the, first thing, the first thing they said to me, Christos turns around and he goes, told you you should play ball. And I'm like, you know what? Now is not the time for jokes. Don't say that to me. I've broken something. You just need to take me to a hospital. Anyway, that's the running joke. I should have played ball. But the reality is I should have listened to my body. And I'd gone in. I felt good. I'd loaded. I'd primed and activated. I'd done everything right. Technically, my lift was strong. My form was solid. But I had a little bit of workload overload in an area that had been progressively getting tighter. I had tight face. Time bomb. I had a implosion, right? So my adductor on my right leg. So picture this. I'd done a warm-up round, bar only. I'd gone into my, my warm-up weight was 60 kilos comfortably, no issues. Put my 60 on the bar, put it on my back. Second rep, my adductor pulled and rotated my hip one, so my right hip went sort of forward and down. My piriformis went, we're going to protect your back, locked me on and rotated me that way. So the bottom of the squat, 60 kilos on my back, all ass to grass, everything went like that. And I already had that little hairline stress fracture. I had, um, yeah, pars fractures, L4, L5, L5 to S1, multi-tier bilateral bulging. So all bo both sides like this, straight into nerve roots, two inches into nerve roots. I was inflamed. I couldn't walk. And then I had progressive issues with it. So I had chronic daily pain for four years. I rehabilitated. I did everything right. I was doing all of these um you know, all the right things, everything from bloody Pilates through to uh, all of my transverse work. I was doing, um, like I was in a brace for six months. I was doing every hour on the hour, all of my triggering releasing. I basically had a gym structure and a periodized training focus to my rehab. I was just determined to not needed surgery. I was determined to prove everyone wrong that said I'd never get on a stage again, let alone get under a bar bell ever again. And so I was like, well, screw it. I'm going to come back to stage and I'm going to win. That's, I'm going to prove you all wrong. And I did using blood flow restriction and next to no equipment whatsoever. And then I did that again for the next show six months later. And then I came in and won my first world championship six months later in the UK actually. And, um, Decided there's got to be a better way than this than just waking up every day. I couldn't even, my God, Charlie, I couldn't even bend down and put my shoes and socks on. I had to be basically. How was that affecting you mentally? Oh, my God. Like, okay, for the first six weeks, I was like, I hate life. <laughs> I had all these sorts of like, just give me a gun. It's that double whammy as well as like not only the pain, but then you can't do what you love and you right. just, your physique regressing. So you've got all right. these different mental factors right. that are like right. icing you almost. 100%. So what I did was the first thing I, I could do, which thankfully for me, um, I'm an incredibly in tune, incredibly aware and incredibly emotionally intelligent person. So my first thought was, all right, get your, get your shit together, woman. Like we got to find a way around. Yeah. So a little internal pep talk here on the bench, We're on the bench team for I don't know how long, but you know what, we're going to make that bench look good. So how about it? And we all sort of, Everyone in my immediate team went, radio. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to scale back. I've always had big teams. I've always managed a lot of athletes, you know, globally sort of, you know, 100 or more at any one point in time always. So I went, right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to regress. I'm cutting my whole athlete pool down. I cut it down to 20. And I made that massive business call because I was like, right, I don't want to compromise my delivery to any of these people, but I want to make sure that my time with them is dedicated. But then I've also got to dedicate time to me and I had to be, 
I realized that I needed to listen to my body and I realized I needed to give it a lot more care and attention than I had been. So I applied a very dedicated approach and a very disciplined approach to my rehabilitation and, you know, avoided surgery, came back to a point where I was out of, you know, traction, out of casts, out of brace, out of everything, you know, pretty quite quickly. Within sort of six months, I was just wearing like this, this, it was just really awkward, horrible, stiff, bloody thing around my lower back sort of for three to six hours of the day instead of all day long, which was great. But as I said, I would have these situations where then I would, you know, have these bouts of really bad chronic pain, like seriously really bad. And um, I don't like taking painkillers. I hate taking any kind of medication. So, so I really suffered through a lot of stuff, but I used it to my advantage because like, what's my lesson in all these things, right? What I found, which was, it sounds so hippie, but I'm going to hit you with it because it's the truth. It's what happened. I won all these things, right? And I did it going in, around, over, under all of the problems still, right? And I was still having these issues and I would get better and I would, I would be able to load a little bit and do a few things in the gym. Then all of a sudden, this is no joke, Charlie. This is what happened to me. I'd have, I'd get cold, I'd get a cold or hay fever and I would nearly hyperventilate with fear because if I sneezed or coughed, I'd blow a disc out. Like seriously, I'm not even joking you, but my, what would happen is my body would go, Oh my God, I remember this. And when she does this, this happens. So immediately the minute I'd feel a sneeze come on, my whole back would lock up and then it's got nowhere to go and it would just straight out. So I had to teach my brain that it was okay to do certain things. Like, yes. Have you ever heard of TMS? Yeah. Attention. It's attention syndrome. But it's actually also, so I did psychosomatic healing. So what I did was, and I talked about this on Ben Pakalski's podcast that I was on last year. He had me on for a whole segment just on psychosomatic healing because that's what I did. So I had to get inside of myself and be like, what am I not dealing with? What am I, what emotions, what repressed situations have I not dealt with, confronted, whatever? Also, what's my fear anchor at certain movement patterns um, in certain situations, like sneezing, coughing, like being sick would terrify me at a subconscious level, right? So I wouldn't even really be consciously aware it was doing that to me until I started looking at it and going, holy shit, every time this happens, I'm doing this and this and this. Every time this person presents to me like that, it's flaring this and this and this. So then I started working through everything one at a time. I started with... um, uh, communication. So I, I changed vocabulary. So the way that I talked about my injury changed, I labeled it my banana, not pain. I never used the word pain at all in my vocabulary for nearly two years. I coded my pain different colors so that I could see progression and it wouldn't be that it was a terrible day every day. It was a blue day or a green day or a red day. So I did all these little techniques, but at the same time I was delayering these really ingrained patterns of fear inside my body that would then, you know, result in this physical symptom. It was really powerful. But once I started doing it all and letting go of all these things, next minute I got an 80 kilo barbell on my back. And then I'm in a powerlifting show, which then I got third place in. Yeah, go me. <laughs> but powerful, right? Yeah, I think that just shows how there's so much subliminal messaging from the brain that goes on through the body that you're not aware of based on emotion and how you feel. And that's like it was interesting. You were, one of the things you were saying is how your body locks up naturally, where you, you find yourself in a position you don't particularly find comfortable. So, like, I know you're into, you've been doing some cross. You do you've done a lot of CrossFit. So I've started doing a little bit of CrossFit style training with um, a guy who works for me, and like doing like an overhead squat, like in the bottom position, for example. I find very much like that. My body doesn't like it and like locks up because it's not used to it, and it's almost yeah. like psychologically it's- reverse engineering your brain to be like, this is okay to have a weight over your head to be in a squat position and get your body to relax. It is, it is. And you know, if you regressed it, right, and you actually did a bit of work where you thought back on earlier situations, there's actually probably been a time in your life where you've done something similar and it's actually resulted in an injury or like, and it might've even just been as a child, like you might've been playing a sport or a game and you've had something in that position or similar and the body's gone, Oh, filing. Cause it's like a filing system. Your brain's like a filing system. It files back, connects to and goes, boom, done. That's the program we're running. And the program is holy shit. We're going to screw ourselves. That's bad. That's we're out. Boom. Checking out. Right. That's what it does. So what I had to do was go in and convert all of my files to a safe zone and then, Play a new system, play a new program, feed it a new way of 
you know, connecting those dots. And it was, it was really powerful. Like I said, it took me sort of four to six months. And then at the same time, what I was doing was I was layering these patterns of movement, right? Where I was working on structural stuff. So I went pelvis stability, hip stability. I worked with Dr. Jordan Shallow um, and Ben Bukowski for, yeah, yeah. So Jordan's one of my best friends. So Jordan worked with me hands on. I was in Tampa with him and Ben on three different occasions last year. And then he came and, he came and traveled with me to the Bahamas and stayed with me my whole peak week and was just the whole peak week just treating me and working me through my ranges of motion. But I went through that prep last year was my first year where for the first time I could be posing from six weeks out because the work I did with those two boys and the work I did in my own mind um, had me fully moving freely. And even today I'm, I'm running around doing everything that I never thought I'd be able to do. I still have though, and this is caveat here, I still have some recurrences and some relapses and some little moments. But the minute they happen, Charlie, the first thing I do is, whoa, what's going on right now? What's happening in life? Where, where am I at? Am I stressed? Am I sleeping? Like who's pissing me off that I'm not dealing with? Because that's what happens, right? We hold on to something subconsciously and then it goes, oh, I remember that system and that program. We're going to run it. And you don't want to do that. So I just learned how to run new systems, how to reprogram and reboot my whole wiring pretty much and at the same time I was layering in those patterns like um, Jordan had me doing a lot of hip airplanes oh bro if you had to see me do my first hip airplane it was the messiest ugliest thing you've ever seen it's like watching a kindergartner try to I don't even know figure skate it was horrible (laughs) I know exactly where you're coming from because I did a camp with Ben and Jordan last summer oh there you go I got absolutely pulled apart they were like what the hell is wrong with you like they're so awesome though they're actually so awesome so you know the first time you got me to do this I was like bro, I can't do this. You want me to what and put my leg where and drop my hip? How? And I'm meant to kick it. Where? He <laughs> showed me. And he's this big, for anyone that's listening to this. He's so graceful he's as well. Monstrosity. He's like seven foot nearly. He's a, he's a monster. We were sitting at dinner one night. He had his palm on the side of his dinner table, of his dinner plate. His palm was almost the size of the plate he ordered a what's that it's over a kilo steak and his hand looked bigger than the steak this is how big this guy is he's massive anyway he gets out like a little ballerina almost and just pops the hip out makes it look so easy and i'm going how does something that looks like you move that gracefully i'm an ex-dancer and i can't get this shit he's like woman you just you're a little broken <laughs> we need to fix this <laughs> oh my god cheers man cheers Thanks for that. So for the next six months is what we did. The whole litmus test of my success was how graceful or completely horrendous my hip airplanes looked. But we progressed through the hip airplane and what we also worked on, so it was pelvic stability, and then we worked on my serratus. So we worked on the structural stuff that supports upper back and thoracic and lower hip opening because being able to work on supporting my hip structure my pelvis so that when i was walking i wasn't constantly moving my with my gait in a way that put more pressure on my back because that's what was happening like my back had affected my stance my posture and my walk my gait and so what we did was we regressed everything worked on gait worked on pelvic structure worked on serratus and then started to build into being able to do loaded base movements when i first went to tampa it was so funny i was training with ben every day for two hours i'm like i'm so sorry ben like this is so basic because and it's so frustrating being inside of a body where you knew you once were deadlifting like 130 kilos at 48 kilo body weight that you were, you know, squatting 120 kilos before you did this injury, right? Going to a point where I was literally like walking along in lunges with five kilos in my hand. I'm going to Ben. I'm so sorry. Next time you see me, we'll actually do something properly. <laughs> but they were so patient with me. And that first trip looked like that. Two months later, literally, I got off the plane, walked into MY40, and he's gone, oh, sister, you look like a completely different woman. I'm like, I know. <laughs> I was walking pain-free. I had a great gait. I could load again. Um, yeah, and it was just, it was a totally different experience. So point being this, 
I worked from the inside out. I worked on my head first. I, I healed a few things that I hadn't probably addressed. They weren't major things, but they were enough. You know what I mean? I rewired the central nervous system and the way that my brain was computing and programming. I got very comfortable with understanding that I didn't need to live at Mount Everest. Base camp was fine. And then I also got very humble in the fact that, you know what, I can be a multiple world champ and not have to walk into a gym and lift balls to the wall every time I'm in there. And there was nothing wrong with stepping back and regressing to get the foundations right so that I could build a physique that was my best one yet. And that's exactly what we did. Like the physique I put on stage last year blew my own damn mind. Like even Jordan, we're in peak week and he's like, man, I'm loving watching this. He's like, every day we wake up, he goes, I feel like I'm a kid at Christmas unwrapping shit. He goes, it's your body. (laughs) I know. And at the same time, I'm moving functionally with no pain. It was just, it was, it was so liberating. So I think it's that process of, you know, layering the, um, you know, comfort of your body going in that movement pack. We're safe. We're safe. We're safe. At the same time as letting go of the stuff that I was clearly hanging on to. And then also recognizing cues. So now I don't push through something. If I feel a trigger coming on, I don't go out into the gym and lift loaded on lower body that day. I instead I'll meditate and I'll journal and I'll work out what the hell's going on for me. And I'll start filing the shit away then I'll go into my lift when I feel like I'm, I'm ready for it. I think it's that thing. I think there's too much um, almost ignorance of people not listening to their own biofeedback a lot of the time. Like mm. they think, okay, I'm programmed to squat today. My back feels a bit tight. I'm just going to do it anyway. And that's yeah. what often leads to the problem. As you said, your body will lead cute, like little like tips and tricks along the way of being like, there's something's wrong here. Like you need to rest a day or do something else. And like going in and doing it, doing yeah. it for the sake of it. Is never going to end well. Um, it's it's probably you, not the smartest move. No. It's <laughs> just what you said about like listening to your body. So I've been uh, in lockdown. One of my goals was to learn to front squat and then like progress that. I wanted to front squat 140 kilos when I couldn't even front squat. So I um, I progressed <laughs> quite quickly with that. Yeah. Within well, in like a week, I'd pretty much doubled my one rep max. And then subsequently, like week two. Um, I did 130 kilos for one rep, and I was like, that felt pretty easy. And I was like, my back feels a bit funny. I was like. I could do 140, but I was like, maybe I should, I should leave this. And then, so I left it, like, fortunately. And then that evening, my back just went into mass spasm and, like, was, was like for about four days, where it's just a new loading pattern I'm not used to. But, again, it comes back to, like, listening to your body because when I was younger, I would have been like, oh, I've got this. Let's go, like, egotistical, like, balls out. Yeah. Throw another 10 kilos yeah. on and see what happens. And I probably would have got a serious injury. Yeah, 100%. And, and this is what I talk about, you know, a lot of the time with my athletes too. I'm like, take the ego and leave it at the door. Because the reality is when you, when you move egoically, you actually don't hear anything the body's telling you. Nothing at all. And a lot of the times, you know, if it is a little niggle like that, and I teach them all how to auto-regulate, I'm like, I want you to auto-regulate. Don't sit there and feed back to me. You did it just because it's popped up in the day that that's what you're there to do. You be smarter and you tell me, hey, you know what, it's this time for me hormonally, so I'm weaker and and nothing's feeling right, so I'm not going to do that today. And I'm going to be like, good, go, you, high five, great job. Or you're going to tell me I'm feeling like there is pressure in, you know, in an area where if someone's got disc issues, you know, we we definitely talk about auto-regulating for personal regression where required because the best part is they've all watched my journey. Like most of my clients are with me for years, so a lot of them have come through my whole you know, sort of trials and tribulations and challenges. And they've all seen me. And even the ones who've only been with me 18 months have seen me chronic, chronic epidural injections to then being like hip aeroplaning terribly before I finessed it to then, you know, bringing out a powerlifting comp. Like they've watched my evolution. And I guess, look, I've been asked many times about what's motivated me throughout all of this. And I would say that's exactly what it is. The fact that for me, being able to defy odds, being able to go, no, I'm going to give you the middle finger. I'm not listening to you when you say I need surgery or I can't do this anymore. I will, I will show you that you're wrong. And I wanted to just teach my clients that you don't have to every, always take everything someone tells you and then put a limitation on yourself based on someone else's imposed limitation. You decide what you get. You decide what your outcomes are. That's right. Don't let someone tell you what box you're going to sit in. 
cut the friggin' walls of the box down. Like you get to define you, right? No injury defines you. No decision, no MRI, no diagnostic is going to, to define you. I believe that you can find a way around almost anything. And I believe you can heal yourself from almost anything. I really do. So, but I'm an annoying optimist. That's how I roll. That's <laughs> but I glass is always half full. Otherwise, yeah. You're, you're always lose, you're always fighting a losing battle. 100%, 100%. So for me, I was like, well, I'm doing it for them. Um, I really, and I really did. I just, I just didn't want to be, how can I ask someone to do something outside of their comfort zone and push them to break a barrier if I can't show them I can do it myself? And if I can not only show them, but I can do something that most people would never do, then you know what? When they give me an excuse, I'm going to turn around and be like, girlfriend, really? Is that what you're going to freaking give me right now? <laughs> Don't, <laughs> you know, and then, and then it opens up a really real conversation and we do, we have conversations like that where I will throw it back and be like, is that really the excuse you're going to hand me? And then before you know it, they're looking at themselves in the mirror and being like, you know what? No, I'm not going to do this anymore. And that's how then you can start to create, you know, really great change for people. So for me, it was just a process of who's the person that I want to be remembered as being, who's the person that I want, you know, my team to look at, and and accept instruction from you know am i going to be someone that gives up or am i going to be someone that shows the and shows the right way i've shared my journey the whole time i've never i've never tried to say that i've done things that i haven't done i've never hidden what my limitations were to the point where i still talked about on my social channels that i was getting an epidural injection in my facet disc the day before i flew out you know what all of my competitors up against me in that lineup were probably like yes she's out i rock up i'm like go home i'm here (laughs) you may as well quit (laughs) but it was just you know having that attitude and and i'm transparent right so i try to make it honest i try to share the highs and the lows my good days my bad days i still have some i try to be very um you know I guess, very authentic in, in the whole process. And I talk about the fact that, hey, you know what? I had emotional shit that I had to deal with in order to be able to get my back better. I had no issues with that. Ben, ben I remember, was saying to me the first time he met me, he was like, the reason I knew I liked you straight away was because you straight away told me you had to deal with emotional shit. And I went, well, bro, doesn't everyone? And he goes, no one will tell, no one will tell you they do. And I'm like, okay, well, I will. So what are, you, what are we going to do? How are we going to make this better? And I think, you know, as long as you can, you can be showing that way, then other people are willing to step up and make those changes in their own life or willing to understand that, hey, you know, maybe I don't have it so bad or if she can do it, so can I. You know what I mean? Like, so for me, that's what it was. That's what motivated me through. It's just giving belief. And I think a lot of that is a mindset thing. I think one thing that's very interesting is um, I take it from when you first had the injury, the only option that probably the main medical community like conventionally gave you was surgery. Surgery straight away, whole and, the whole time. Even to the point where and you that's know, hundred percent, it is. Even to years in, like, and then well, they're not yep. necessarily giving yep. you another option. But you, you fortunately yep. had the foresight and intelligence to think there is another way around this. Um, yeah, which is why well, you know what? Sorry, a whole bunch of research because you know I'm I'm really big on on evidence. So I was like, all right, I'm looking, and and I was never going to entertain it anyway. I'm a stubborn bitch like that. I was. Never going to say, yeah, okay, put me under a knife. No way. I was going to find another way. I was always going to. But I still wanted to find statistics to prove either way who was right. And there is absolutely no correlative data that proves that getting that surgery would have made me any better. In fact, the surmountable evidence showed that, in fact, most cases needed a repetitive surgery. So again, two, 10 years or whatever later, or they significantly went backwards. I'm going, no thanks. Like, why would I do that? You're going to tell me I can't do something functional movement and then you're going to go and give me a surgery that you say that I need to then have me not even able to do basic stuff beyond what I'm already doing now. No, thanks. So I didn't. And I'm so glad I didn't because, you know, look at what I've been able to do. And like I said, I'm not without my hiccups and I still have the old thing and I still have to be very aware about my, my pattern of movement, my bracing, how I attack picking something up off the floor just in general movement. I'm more aware in my general movement because that's when you're most likely to be like, oh, whatever, pick it up and be like, wrong position discos right so it's made me like i said better on so many levels just better day today and far more aware on on so many factors inside myself and so you know i definitely think it's been a blessing not a curse but i definitely think that you're right the the basic medical diagnosis is always you know the immediate 
shortcut, which is surgery. And I just didn't want to go down that path. And, you know, I've got, I've had my sports doctors since look at me and be like, wow, how'd you do it? Well, wouldn't you like to know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> your, MRI go, your MRI can go shove itself. <laughs> I'm fine. It's, um, it's one of those things I think, often actually surgery is probably the easier option for people to cop out and go for and say yeah. this is an excuse I can't, I can't do functional training anymore where you've actually gone the hard way and taken the hard route which for long-term success oh is, is the is the way to go but it's not the easy option which is probably what most people take no it's really not like and i won't say that i didn't have my days where i was like oh my god you know is this ever going to get any better am i ever going to have pain-free movement am i ever going to Am I ever going to be able to stand? Like Jordan was so funny. The first time we had to take my pictures to show like my pattern of movement, my back was so flat. I had absolutely no lumbar curve. It was like that. Like I literally just was straight down. And then by the time sort of we were taking these monthly sort of shots just to look at, you know, um, posture, by the time I got to stage, I had a proper really great full curve again. Now I am hyper flexible and hyper mobile in my lower back. So normally from ballet and dance, I had like quite a big curve and I went from that to being completely flat for like three years, had no lumbar range whatsoever. So it's amazing when you look at how you can completely change your entire, your entire structure, but you can, and you can do it. If you apply a consistent daily disciplined approach to it, like you would your training for any other sport You've got to approach that the same way. And that's pretty much what I had to do. And like I said, there were days where I was like, all right, I'm over this. I'm so fucking tired of being a kindergartner all over again. But you just had to stick with it. One interesting thing you referred to earlier in regards to your training was um, doing a powerlifting style coming into a competition. Do you want to delve into that a little bit more? Maybe some of your training style of things? That's quite unconventional. Oh, my God. Like a lot of women are scared of lifting heavies. They like to do like isolated backs and stuff like that. I actually hate now. It was so funny. We were just having this conversation the other day. I'm like, you know what ISO has done? It's forced me to become a bodybuilder really quickly because I'm back in all this hyper bloody, hypertrophy style training, massive volume, moderate weight, no rest. What's this no rest thing? I feel like I'm just running 100 miles. So for me, this is how it went when I first started powerlifting. It was so funny. Oh my God. They were like, can you just stop? Rest? No, and they'd be looking at their clock and be like, can we, can we go yet? Can we go yet? Can That's what I find so difficult is trying no. to slow myself between sets. So I actually have no. to timer up. If I train on my own, it's even worse. So like I literally no. put, I put, I put my phone on the floor with a stopwatch and I won't go until it's, it's the right time. That's what I had to do. I had to set my timer on my phone because otherwise I'd be like going. Seconds bang. Now, yeah. and when you understand too and you break it apart and you look at, you know, phosphocreatine and the whole replenishment cycle to be able to then go and do, you know, a, a maximal loaded lift, you need that time, right? But as a bodybuilder, you're not trying to maximally load like that all the time. So you just, it's, it's conditioning and it's, it's a totally different approach. So it took me ages to just be like, I know scientifically I need to do this, but I really struggled with it. My body was just wanting to go all the time. But then fast forward three months and all of a sudden I'm like sitting down having a Tim Tam in between my sets. You know how it is. You're like five minutes, shit, we're going already? What do you mean? I haven't even rested yet. And my coaches were looking at me going, oh, we've created a monster. You've been from, we've gone from having this ever-rated bunny that we had to pull back and pretty much put chains on so you didn't go back under the bar within 25 seconds of having lifted to now someone we were like where is she she's in the toilet like come on you got to go for your next lift like it's funny then when we finished my powerlifting comp i was like oh my god what is this eight reps what 10 why <laughs> so you just have this total mind flip on how you approach it and and i've always loved training it's never been a problem for me and i at first really struggled with these only a couple of lifts, all this rest. I remember looking at my, like people and being like, I'm going to get so fat and I'm going to go so backwards. <laughs> it's so funny. Now I'm like, oh my God, I'm losing my ass. Like what is with this? I'm getting leaner because I'm coming into stage now for my fourth title to reign, hurry up and go away, Corona, so that the borders can open and I can get my ass to the freaking Bahamas looking diced because that's what I want for August, right? I got a sixth crown to attain. So that's what I'm working towards. So I'm still trying to do all this in this situation at the moment. It's really quite interesting. But the irony of it is 
at first starting powerlifting, I had to get my head around the rest and the lower, you know, lower reps and thinking, oh my God, I'm going to get fat. I'm going to look like the Michelin man just on bloody a bakery diet. But I didn't. I was really good. I actually, what I found was I felt more rested. My sleep patterns improved. I had four training days only instead of five to six. No cardio whatsoever, more calories, and I sat leaner. How funny is that? But I was determined to redefine powerlifting and not look chubby too, so I didn't want to let myself go. But I didn't didn't get all of the things I was so worried about getting. Guess what also, which women listening to this maybe, my waist got smaller, not bigger. Because your core strength had to improve. And I guess what, Charlie? My abs are visible even with body fat now. So good. I was sitting there in my powerlifting comp and I had full six pack out. And I'm like, mate, I've never had my six pack out at 24 weeks from stage. <laughs> it's always been out at like six weeks to stage. My ab plate comes out because I've never had one that's been really dominant like that. But I'm pumped because this year I'm going to have the best ab plate I've ever had in my career. And it's visible now. It's uh, probably, so good. You're probably training abs actually directly less than ever, or if not at all. Never. I didn't do any, 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 no, no isolated ab work. How good is that? Like blows my mind. So for anyone listening, females, if you're scared about powerlifting, don't be. If you're scared about the fact you think you're going to get a thick waist or get fat, you're not, unless you eat all of the donuts, which I'd probably advise you don't in your rest period because that's not going to help you. And then when you actually come back out of it for me now coming out of it and going back into my bodybuilding approach, Oh my God, like it's hard. It's hard work. Like <laughs> mad respect for all my, my body lifting day, bodybuilding days now. Cause now I'm like, my God, I've trained like this my whole life. <laughs> like, what was I thinking? <laughs> so, funny. so if you had the option, would you continue with your powerlifting style training into your next? 100%. Year? 100%. 100%. I'm definitely, yep, definitely. So at the moment, even now what I've done, I'm a hybrid. I refuse to do a full bodybuilding approach ever again. I'm hybrid lifting. So I'm actually doing, um, some compound five by fives and then working into, you know, a, a, a superset and a tricep perhaps of less sets, more reps, moderate weight, bodybuilding style training. So that's how I'm structuring all of my training. Um, but I'm still doing it in a way that's building the um, foundation still. So still looking at my pelvic stability, still working on the strata, still doing my primers and activators like normal, but I've got those main compound lift days and then I, I accessory after it conditioning my physique with a little bit more metabolic conditioning because I've grown enough mass. I can't get any bigger in my upper body this year at all. If anything, I'm probably going to downsize it a fraction, which is fine because I don't really train it too much other than the bench and that's not really affecting too much. Um, so yes, when I get off this stage too, I'm reversing straight out to do my next powerlifting comp in November. So powerlifting. Super sets and triceps you said you're adding in after your main compound lift. Are you doing that? Is that primarily like isolation movement? So you might do say like arms yeah. and delts and things like that? Yeah, it will be. Um, for, so what I'll do is I'll usually have like one of my days where it'll be um, like a push and pull and I'll work full back and then there'll be another day where it'll just be isolated delts arms. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, uh, I think that's very much a new school in terms of approach and a little bit the way that i'm starting to personally go and i've been through a lot of different styles just trying different things the same as you i absolutely love training so for me it's all about like okay let's see what training twice a day feels like let's see what training four times a week like just playing around and trying different things because they all work within reason but it's finding what's optimal for you and what you enjoy exactly and i think too if you're doing multi-day training which i've done i've done that approach too um and even at different phases with Jordan and Ben, we did it. Um, but what we did though was we structured it well so that it was literally like I'd have those multi-day, like a multi-session in a day, then I'd have my rest day. And then I would hit the next muscle group, but it wouldn't be still compromising my recovery component from that double session. Um, and usually the double session would be that I would do a strength-based component in the morning and then I would go and do accessories, same group through to failure in the evening. So it was a very interesting approach. But, you know, if you know what Ben's work's like, it's very, it's very focused on, you know, um, form, movement, smart movement, you know, full range of m- movement. And you know what it's like when he puts you into anything to engage your lat. You feel a contraction and a cramp, like your whole back seizes up, right? Your serratus and your lat is like, 
So my whole workout for a whole year was taking everything to that point, and it was it was it was incredible. I will never lunge the same, and I will never I will never do a single arm row the same, and I will never do a side raise the same after having had Ben work with me, because between Jordan and Ben, they worked on my structural position. Because you know how he how he will take a <coughs> textbook movement and apply it to your actual skeletal structure, your mechanical structure. So stop trying to do something textbook because it might not even work with your joints or the, your range of your actual joint range, right? So the best thing I did when I invested in my career with having those two as my coaching team or part of my broader specialist coaching team, because I actually had six people working with me, was that we worked on that. We worked out okay, not only are we fixing and correcting the areas that needed structural foundational rebuilding, right? We also then went on to go, okay, well, what's my skeleton look like? What's my joints look like? Where is my range? What is my best movement pattern? Where should... So for most people, a side raise is straight out to the side. Mine's not. Mine's a slight hip hinge forward and almost like a 45 degree angle. So it's then it's totally different, right? And then even isolating stuff out where he would have you go side on it's more trap correct correct for me yeah and i and i if i do that i'm trap dominant straight away so this is the thing where you know now for me moving into crossfit style training now if i ever do that again which hopefully my back holds up and i can because i'd love to um i would do it differently and i would actually have better development than i did back when i did it because when I did do it previously, I did have that situation where my traps did start to come on. And it was literally because of that. And you know what, what the, the um, you know, really interesting thing is, is even with all of my education and even all of my qualifications, you know, we'd never gone through that. We'd never addressed that. We never even in, you know, exercise science looked at my skeletal structure like that. It took me working with Jordan and Ben to do it. And I'd had coaches before them and no one had even done that. So it's interesting. You mentioned you've got a big coaching team for yourself. So obviously Jordan and Ben were part of that. Who else is the other infamous? So one of my like long-standing peers and friends, we've been, we, we're basically peers in the industry here in Australia. And he's awesome because he's not a massive name and he's not an ego and he's just a very, um, very, 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 very knowledgeable evidence-based practitioner. I love him to pieces. Little Paolo, Paolo Baja. So I worked with him, engaged him because I wanted someone that I could trust, that I respected, that would basically just take over me because I'd always run a lot of shit myself underneath um, another coach I worked with for five years, Tom. And I, I worked with him, but he was in another country and it, got, it became very hard for me because he was in another country and I couldn't see him in person. Whereas when I had Paolo, I could just, ju I could just jump on a plane for an hour and see him in Sydney. And I was going twice a month to see him in person. So it was just really great because I could just walk in and be like, okay, let's look at me structurally. So I had him. Then also in Sydney, I had a specialist team in Sydney. So I had him. I had the, the physio that first introduced me to psychosomatic work. Her name's Pei, and she's a little Asian powerlifting champion who actually had the exact same injury as me and had rehabilitated. And so I walked in, I saw this little tiny little Asian like, 48 kilos, maybe 52. And I looked at her, I'm like, oh my God, what's she going to do with me? <laughs> and I, I really questioned her at first, right? And Paolo introduced me. Paolo's like, just trust me. And I went, okay, bro. And he goes, she's a powerlifting chairman. Okay, bro. And then when I was on the table and she goes, I've had this exact injury. And I looked at her and I'm like, bullshit. You're deadlifting and squatting. She goes, exactly. <laughs> this little Asian accent. She goes, exactly. She goes, bend forward. And I went like this. She goes, bend forward. And I went, that is me bending forward. She goes, you just dropped your freaking neck. And I went, yeah, but babe, that's as far as it gets. So she did a couple of manipulations on my back. And then she just grabbed my head and just pushed me straight down. She goes, it's fear. Your body's holding you in that locked position because you're scared. And I went, fucking probably. <laughs> well, how are we going to fix this? And she goes, by doing it, by showing your body you're fine. So in one session with her, this is in January of last year. And this is right before I caught up with Ben and Jordan in person in January last year. So it was about a week before. I still could not bend further than that. In one session with her, she had me bending to the ground. I could personally bend all the way down to the ground and touch my toes, which I hadn't done in four years. And then she put me under a broomstick to squat, to replicate the squatting motion. I was squatting with a broomstick. Before I left her studio, she had 50 kilos on my back. And good. I did it. It's pretty dope, right? So I went down 
and I swapped coaches from being with someone overseas to being with this team because that was my defining moment. I went, yep, I trust you. I trust you all. And I trust you all with what I need to fix me on the ground. So then add in one more person and she is the Australasian trainer. She's a chiropractor, a doctor. She doesn't practice chiropractic anymore. She's a complete allied specialist, really. Her name's Lee Falinski. She's also based in Sydney and she does the needling education for all physios. So she only trains across Australasia, um, the physiotherapists that want to do um, needling for performance-based you know, work. So they all work with athletes. So she teaches everyone. So I go for... <laughs> I get absolutely annihilated when I'm in Sydney. I go down, I get off the plane. The first thing I do is go to Lee's house and I have an hour of needles in every single part of my body and it's freaking horrendous pain. And then I'm stiff as crap for the next 24 hours. And then all of a sudden, I'm, it's like I've never had an injury in my life. I'm floating, right? Like it's amazing. Then I see pay the next day and we go through patterns of movement, make sure I'm fine. Then we load my body and then in between loading, we'll go through exercises just to make sure that I'm tapping back into it because these are my guys on the ground. Jordan, I work with, with pre-script ongoing all over the planet. And then we catch up several times throughout the year, either in Australia or in Tampa. And then Ben, Ben is obviously in Tampa. So I've got my on the ground people and I've got my people over there. And then Xenia was another one that I had that used to travel with me. So she's a physiotherapist who used to travel with me just to go through queuing and basically release work in the first two years before Jordan would travel with me. But yeah, so I've got a, it's a whole team of people. It's taken that for me to get to this point. And I got to give credit to all of them because they've all been amazing in their own specialty areas. And that's what I think people have got to understand too. When you're dealing with something as complex as this, right, which comes from head to physical structure, don't think you've got to go to one person to fix it all because it's crazy. Like you need your little specialist areas addressed by the team that are experts in that zone. Yeah. No, no one's going to be world-class in every single niche. So you need to find... Right the best person in each specific field and get them to almost work together as you have and build your own team. And it's a prime example of like you investing in yourself and you as a coach being coached as you learn as well, you also get the results you're looking for and the solution. I think a lot of people are naive to do that sometimes. I think so too. And you know what I've always said to anyone that wants to work with me is that if I was personally looking for a coach, I would not work for someone that didn't have a coach. Do you know what I mean? Like it's crazy to me because if they're not in, exactly everyone does the best coaches do because it'll be in some format in your life it might be spiritual it might be physical it might be nutritionally whatever it is might be even just commercially in the business context but you're working with someone that's going to better you in some format and i think that i've done it my whole life and i think i'll never stop but i'm like that i love having mentors and i love i love learning and sometimes it's not even that i'm going to learn something like even with paulo when i when i invested in paulo it was just knowing that i could trust him to go hey here's me in my entirety, nothing, no holds back. I'm not, I'm not hiding anything. You know, my good, my bad, my in and my out. I just want you to manage me. And when I come to you and say, I think that I'm looking fat and you know, I'm not, you just give it to me straight. Or if I'm not where I need to be, you tell me to start walking more. But, um, but I wanted him to manage me so I could focus on all my athletes. Right. And that was the first time in my entire professional career where I completely gave myself to someone else. So between him and then just giving, you know, my whole full trust in, you know, Jordan and Ben to work because they work so well together. When when Jordan was working on everything with me structurally, Ben would then layer that in with what I was doing, you know, um, corrective movement patterns in how I would execute a lift and then also, you know, how I was training. So between those two and Paolo, that's pretty much how I pulled everything together for that last win. It's and it's still, you know, still a team I work with to a degree, you know. I'm saying. It doesn't have to be as on now which is no. great because i'm i can hit the airplane a little bit more gracefully <laughs> airplane queen <laughs> um to go, go into a little bit more obviously like with the situation at the moment with the corona outbreak like yeah and i know you've been giving a lot of pep talks to your clients and i've had the same thing i do a lot of group calls within the moment in particular to provide more support have you got any advice yeah. that you've been giving in a specific uh, to try and help people through this time 100 percent. um my number one thing is this right and i <sighs> What have we talked about a lot, right? That when you get into a place of stillness, you have an opportunity to do something with that and to really come out of it better for it, right? So 
the biggest thing that I'm trying to get everyone to look at is the things you're worried about and you're anxious about and you're um, focusing on from a fear point of view, let's pull that away for a minute and let's look at why it's scaring you. Because for a lot of people, they're scared about things that they didn't even get to do, that they should have been doing when life was normal because they didn't have time. And now all of a sudden they've got time and they're sitting there and they're wasting time worrying about something that's a future that hasn't come yet. So like I keep saying to them, stop and think about the things you can do right now that you've never had time to do and start doing them. Start looking at the things you can control that will make you ahead of this game by the time the doors open up again to your home, right? The minute you can go back out into the working you know, environment or the gym or the stage, be ahead of the game. And the only way you're going to do that is by focusing on the day-to-day. So I always think that keeping a ritual that is close to your normal and then build on it and make it better, incorporating into your ritual hygiene, and what I mean by hygiene, I mean you know parasympathetic nervous system hygiene. So where you're looking at the things that give back to you and reduce stresses and increase your ability to handle stress. So, you know, looking at, um, sorry about that. That's my puffies. <laughs> They're being little rat bags. Um, looking at the things that, you know, alleviate stress. So meditating in the morning, journaling, looking at the stuff that relaxes you, whether that's gardening or going for a walk or, you know, um, just doing a jigsaw puzzle. Like, I don't know what the hell floats your boat, right? But find the things that relax you and try and incorporate those into the day. So for argument's sake, for me, I've always had a really good structure and I'm, you know, quite intrinsically motivated. So I'm not lacking in that area. But I have improved mine significantly. Sleep is a problem for me. I've always got too many tabs open as if we didn't guess that would be a problem. And so for me, slowing down is obviously something that I always need help with. So I've incorporated stuff that helps with my circadian rhythms morning and night and actually has me in bed earlier, has me sleeping better. And that's going to be something I'm going to take into my life when we open the doors again. So I'm going to be better for this, right? So I'm waking up earlier and I'm going to bed earlier, but I'm also cutting the blue light earlier. I'm getting in bed and reading a classic. Anyone that follows my story will see that I'm making my way through all the classics. I started capturing the rye on Monday night. It's what, Wednesday. I'm going to finish it tonight, Charlie. That's how fast. I know. I'm, I'm expediting my, my postgraduate studies because I'm on, on route to my master's and my PhD in performance nutrition. Now, this postgraduate study of mine was put in a little bit of delay and I had to actually um, defer a semester last year because my schedule was crazy. I, I travel six months of the year. So what am I doing while I've got the time? I'm not wasting it worrying about stuff. I'm getting in, I'm getting my grad dip done, I'm getting my postgraduate finished because then guess what? When the world opens up again, my travel is going to be stupid. I'm going to be ahead of the game on the studies. So that's what I'm trying to tell on my team to do is look at the things right now that keep you still in rhythm and ritual. Look at the things that relax you. Look at the things that de-stress you. Look at the things you can do that improve maybe your relationship with food or training or your um, time management. Pick something you really want to learn or do that you've not been, not, never had time to do and go do it. Study something, learn a new language, like samba dance in your kitchen for what I care, but do something you love, right? Like is, actually. Is that something you, you book in for yourself daily? Like um, yes, fun, and, fun and enjoyment time, like on a daily basis for like an hour, like I'm going to do X, Y, Z? Definitely. And the other thing which I've always sucked at is consistent content creation for my social media. So I actually now have these designated times where my little offside we get in, we're in the kitchen doing all these EHB cooking segments on my IGTV. So anyone that wants a really great recipe, make something fun that actually tastes amazing and is good for the calories and the waistline, check out my IG. I'm doing lots of content. What's your favorite one so far? Oh my God, I made this freaking amazing strawberry cheesecake. Protein cheesecake. So phenomenal. And I'm making a brownie. Oh my God, a peanut butter chocolate chip brownie. And I'm doing, on Saturday, I think it is, we're doing these ridiculous protein balls. And we're making a protein gluten-free banana bread. You got to get on this. Everyone, get on my channel. <laughs> we have to check that out. So we'll start to wrap things up there, Alicia. So for anyone to sort of find out a bit more about you, uh, get in touch with coaching, if you're taking any more clients, where's the best place to get in touch? So definitely go through to my own personal, probably, um, Instagram page, which is Alicia Gowans underscore WBFF Pro. And then our problem may, probably our main, I've got three business accounts, but our main one, I'll just pull it up for you so I don't bastardize and get it wrong. Um, it's Ali's Angels 
underscore fitness. And then the other one would be comp coach. So yeah, uh, just comp coach. Yeah. But it's, um, it's definitely a process where at the moment, you know, end of the year shows we're saying are definitely going ahead because even if we have border lockdowns internationally, our regional shows will go ahead. So in every country, I believe by the end of the year, we should see some real time shows going live. So this podcast has been hugely inspirational and like a huge number of different topics, like how you transition from your training to rehab, um, and I think we'll give a lot of people, anyone who's going through an injury issue at the moment and struggling with that, a lot of inspiration. So thank you so much for your time. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure to chat. And I wish you all all success for the next show. I'm sure you'll smash it. Uh, with the isolation thank prep. Um, <laughs> and, uh, oh, man, I'm making some interesting workouts. That's all I'm going to say. Imagine, I'm checking them out. Um, so all this- I want is my powerlifting gym to open up again. I'm like, I keep checking the schedule for the restriction lifts and I'm like, yeah. Okay, oh, the boutique gym is coming up. Because I just want to get back to the bar. That's <laughs> yeah. Won't be long, won't be long. But then, like, again, look at this as an opportunity is how much you're going to enjoy training again and appreciate yeah. that. Awesome. Awesome. So, well, thank you so much for having me. It's pleasure. been a pleasure. Pleasure. So, for everyone listening, I hope you guys absolutely love this. Uh, if you could please leave us a five star review and subscribe to the channel. The next uh, podcast episode we've got coming up is Patrick McKeown covering breathing, which is going to be absolutely fascinating. So, very much look forward to that. And thank you so much for your time, Alicia. I hope you have a superb lockdown and thrive uh, during the situation. <laughs> thank you, you too. Now that was an absolutely killer episode of the Powercast. Hope you guys absolutely loved it. Now I want to fill you in something I put together which is absolutely incredible to help you not just survive during this quarantine, but actually thrive and come out of the situation in your best shape ever. So I appreciate a lot of people are really struggling at the moment in terms of knowing how to train from home, knowing how to stick to their diet when stuck in the house, there's ladies in lockdown, guys stuck in the house. There's a lot of issues going on here. And I wanted to come forward to help you guys and girls come out of the situation as a success. Now, what I have done is completely revamped my world-famous Shrednate and Sculptsnate programs. And what's even more exciting about this is I've given you 77% off on the price of the program. So normally it costs £149 or $200. US Now you can sign up for just £37 per month or $45. US And what's better, you can actually lock this price in for the rest of the year to see a new training program and new diet every eight weeks. Now the new versions of the program are fully home workout based, just using your body weight and some basic bands. These will get you the normal world famous results that you get on Shrednate and Sculptinate so you come out of this situation in the best shape ever. If you'd like to get involved, please click the link below in the podcast notes or drop me a message with any questions. We'd love to have you not just another client of Shrednate and Sculptinate, but another success story.